Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop in Indianapolis, Indiana. The crossroads of America. You know that. You're part of the problem. 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 Everybody in here. Everybody in here. What's going on in this country right now? The reason that we're in the situation we're in as the United States of America. You're part of the problem, sir. You're just doing your job. So many people were just doing their job for Hitler back in Germany. You as well, sir. That goes that goes for you as well. That goes for you as well. That goes for all of you. That goes for all of you, man. There's no excuse. There's zero excuse. Just doing my job. That's not an excuse anymore, man. That's not an excuse. You guys just doing your job is facilitating what's going on in this country right now. You're shutting down a man's livelihood for not following COVID mandates that didn't do anything, anything to prevent COVID. And it was actually detrimental to the community and not just the community, to our kids, man. It set our kids back so many years, these mandates. It set small businesses back so many years. It destroyed small businesses, man. It destroyed them. It destroyed families. It destroyed our community. And it destroyed our country. And nobody in here gives a damn about that. They're just doing their job. Just doing their job. And they're going to continue to do their job. All to preserve themselves. Nothing is more important than themselves, man. Their country is not as important as themselves. I guess your family's not either, sir. Because if you got children, you're setting them up for failure. By not standing up right now, today, you're setting your kids up for failure. You're setting your family up for failure. And you're destroying your country. I hope you feel good about that. I hope you can sleep well at night. You won't be able to once you find out what you're actually doing to your country. You won't be able to sleep well at night. Trust me. It may not hit you today, but it'll hit you. It'll hit you eventually. And I hope you can live with yourself. I spent many years of my life overseas fighting for my country just to come home and have the same government that I fought for destroy everything that I've worked my entire life for. But you're just doing your job, man. Just doing your job. I have no idea how any of you guys can live with yourselves every day and lay your head down on your pillow and sleep soundly knowing that you're contributing to the destruction of the United States of America. That's what you're doing right now. You're not protecting and serving anything. And I've got a lot of respect for the police, a lot of respect for police officers who put their lives on the line every day for me. But this is not what that uniform is about. It's not. What you're doing right now is government overreach. What you're doing right now is supporting a tyrannical government. It's tyranny. And you're involved in it. You're complicit with it. 
It wouldn't be happening if all of you stood up. If all of you stood up and said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not contributing to that. I'm not going to be involved in it. Constitution means more to me than my self-preservation. If any of you guys had the balls to stand up and say that and fight for that, this would not be going on right now. Because if they had nobody to come out and enforce these unconstitutional mandates, nobody would be doing it. They wouldn't do it themselves, I promise you that. But it's because of weak-minded Americans, so-called Americans, doing exactly what you guys are doing right now, is why we're in the situation that we're in as a country. From weak-minded Americans. That self-preservation means more to you than what that uniform that you're wearing is supposed to mean. Mr. Strickland, you need to stop. I need to stop what? This is my restaurant, man. Yeah, it is. I need to stop what? What what is this line right here? What is this line right here, though? Why is it this line that I can't go past? It ain't a platform. It's not a platform. I'm using this to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else ever again. Why not pass this line? What is this arbitrary line that you just made up? Why can't I pass it? Because you said so? You know what you sound like? You sound like the government. You sound like the government that I'm fighting against because I said so. What am I obstructing? What am I obstructing? I'm standing still. I'm talking. I have every right to talk. It's called the First Amendment. It's called It's called the First Amendment. You're going to take that away from me as well? Huh? He just said he's going to arrest me. I want to know for what? On what grounds? On what grounds are you going to arrest me? You don't know. On what grounds? What am I obstructing? What am I obstructing? You just said you're going to arrest me for obstruction. What am I obstructing? Can you answer my question? You didn't answer it. I'm listening to you. What do you need a password to my POS system for? To see if I'm selling alcohol? I'm telling you right now to your face, I'm selling alcohol. Because I didn't violate any laws. I've been following every ABC law that I agreed to follow when I obtained my ABC license. What I will not follow is unconstitutional mandates. I will not follow them ever. I'll die for the Constitution. I'll die for the United States of America. And these gentlemen will. We're all cowards. What do you need to see it for? I'm telling you, I'm selling alcohol. There's, there's all the proof you need. That's all the proof you need. Hey, baby. All these police officers in here, man, for one man. For one man. All these police officers in here for one man. And I'm using this as a platform. A platform. I can't believe you would say something like that, man. This has nothing to do with the platform. This has something to do with making sure this doesn't happen to anybody else ever again. 
And the reason why you can't say that is because you've been brainwashed, man. You've been brainwashed into self-preservation. I'm just doing my job. One day you realize, man, what you're doing is not right. And you're setting your kids up for failure. In the back. Yeah. You need those? All right. I'll get those for you. All right. What else you need? What else you need? I'm going to grab them for you. What else you need? We're going to go with you, but I just need to know where are they in the office? They're in the office, yeah. What else, what else do you need? Right now, that's all we need. Okay. All right. And where are you taking all this alcohol? The alcohol is being seized. We're taking it back to uh, our headquarters and our insurance. You realize you're doing this because I didn't follow COVID mandates, right? We're here because you violated the order. We're not here. You guys agree with COVID mandates? Not here to discuss that. Yeah, just doing your job. Just doing your job. Right. Okay. Just doing your job. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Really? Have you been sworn to uphold the Constitution? Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Were you sworn to uphold the Constitution of Virginia? You were? You're violating it right now. That's the merits of your job. You were sworn to uphold the Constitution of the state of Virginia. You're violating it right now. No matter if the premise was unconstitutional or illegal. That's a pay grade. Great excuse as well. Great excuse. I wanted to let uh, all of you who have not heard about my story before know how we've gotten to this point. And I'll put it in a nutshell for you. So I fought back against COVID mandates at my restaurant uh, because I realized early on that these COVID mandates were more about control than they were our health and safety. And um, and that's just by using common sense. I've never been a, a really big political guy myself. Um, I don't trust politicians from either side of the aisle. I just, uh, I go off of common sense. So that's all I was doing. I said, these don't make any sense. And you're stripping my guests and my employees and myself of our constitutional rights. And uh, I'm not gonna be a part of that. I spent a lot of my adult life overseas fighting against dictatorships. And the last thing that I was gonna do was come home to my country and allow a dictatorship to rule right here. So I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was fight back and not comply. So for that reason, the former governor of Virginia, Governor Northam, he, he sued me. He took me to court and tried to shut my business down. Now in the state of Virginia, if you lose your health department license, you automatically lose your ABC license, your license to sell liquor, uh, because that is attached to your health department license. So once they suspended my health department license for not following COVID mandates, that automatically suspended my ABC license. So that's how I lost it. 
Uh, anyway, we went to court for my health department license and I beat the Virginia Department of Health in court. They asked the judge to shut me down and uh, the judge ruled in my favor. So they had to give me my health department license back. And um, right after that, I went before the ABC board and we argued, hey ABC, you took my health department license only because the health department took my health department license. Well, we beat them in court and they had to give me that license back. So now you should have to give me my ABC license back. And, uh, and they said, well, we don't care why we took your ABC license. The point is we took your ABC license and you didn't comply. Now you guys have to know that this ABC board was put in place by Governor Northam. So it's a very liberal ABC board. And they said, we don't care. We're going to, we're going to continue to keep your license suspended. So I did the only thing I know how to do, fight back by not complying. So I continue to sell alcohol. And we appealed that decision and it sent it to the circuit court here in uh, Virginia. And we went before the circuit court judge and he sided with the state. He said, doesn't matter if the reason they took your license was unconstitutional or unlawful. I'm not here to hear that. Uh, the fact is that they took it and you didn't comply. So I'm going to uphold the suspension. And they did. And uh, that was a, just a few weeks ago that we got that rolling back from the court. And I did the only thing I know how to do, fight back by not complying. And that's when, fast forward to last Friday, the ABC agents and the Virginia State Police raided my restaurant and took everything from me. And, and, and that's how we got to where we're at. So basically, in a nutshell, I am still fighting COVID mandates. I have, I'm still having my livelihood stripped away from me because of COVID mandates. COVID mandates that have been found to not only make a difference, but be detrimental to the community. And they're still enforcing them. They're still enforcing them while we have a Republican conservative administration here in Virginia. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. I'd be lying if I told you it was easy. It's not easy. I mean, I'm going into my third Christmas now, not knowing what's in store for me in the future. You know, I, I've had my livelihood stripped away from me. I own a restaurant, and as you guys know, food costs are sky high. How restaurants are surviving right now is by alcohol sales, and that's been taken away from me. I've got four kids. I'm going into the holiday season not knowing what my future is, and it's all because I have a tyrannical government over top of me. What they're trying to do is beat me into submission and make me kneel in that corner and kiss their ring and give up, but I'm not going to. I don't care how much it costs me. I don't care how much time it takes. I will continue to fight, and I promise you, if you fight with me, we will win. We'll eventually come out on top, and we will save Virginia, and in turn, we will save the United States of America. But please stop complying with these unconstitutional and illegal mandates. Only until then is when things will change and you and me will come out victorious and we'll take our country back. If anybody has any questions at all, uh, feel free to drop them in the comments or send me an email. And uh, my email address is matt at mattforva.com. Thank you guys for all of your support. I really appreciate it. I can't do this without you. Nobody can do it by themselves. We need to come together. We didn't come together when we should have. Now we need to come together and make sure we defeat this tyrannical government. So I'm open and praying for your support. Thank you, guys. Bruce was just a neighborhood coffee shop until we were forced uh, to be something a little bit different.
decided that uh, me and my family and my employees were no longer essential and said we had to close down. With the effectiveness of guitars, we'll show you the capability of outdoor dining or patio space. We decided that uh, enough was enough and we stayed open. I've more to gain by resisting than I do to comply. But through that, we were forced, because they came for us, to become involved. And so now, we have to continue to fight for liberty everywhere we can. Because they came for us. I don't want them to come for you. I don't want them to come for someone else. I don't want other businesses to have to go through what we went through. I don't want other businesses to feel like their back's up against the wall. I don't want to watch people lose their companies because they don't know what to do. The way our country was founded, you know, the Boston Tea Party in 1773. First we switched to coffee. But also, we said, no, we're not going to let people who don't understand us dictate what we do. We're not going to let people who don't understand how we operate, don't understand our business, don't understand our industry, tell us what we can do with the fruits of our labor. We here at Brood are actively fighting for your rights to freedom and liberty. We just also happen to make one really great cup of coffee. It's very simple, but yet they're literally out here protesting us because we want a choice. We're just going to create an other. Because that has worked out so well in history. When you split society into a caste system, where you create a category of other, it ends badly every time and you are not another i stopped fighting for just my liberty i was losing it all anyways i started fighting for others because i want to hand off a better country to my children than the country i've inherited you know and i didn't have to worry about anything until COVID was over that's the way i'm thinking about it right right but when the indoor dining ban lifted what they do they opened up to 33% capacity. They didn't open up to full capacity. Right. And that's really where things started going, uh, getting rough really quick. And, and, and the reason why is the, going back to the restaurant in Wilmore, you know, it only had 10 tables. So 33% capacity is three tables. And yeah, keeping in mind, it's a bedroom community. People are back at work. So I can't survive just off those three tables at that restaurant. So I ended up having to close that restaurant. And then... The commercial cleaning company uh, isn't coming back because either A, people are cleaning so much they're not bringing back their commercial cleaning companies, or B, because you know they're just doing it themselves, or B, there wasn't really um, a whole lot of, of offices in Lexington necessarily that were coming back open. Um, and so because of that, you know, the, the commercial cleaning company wasn't doing great either again. Right. And... You know, and one of the things with the commercial cleaning company, and part of the reason why we made the investment is because the commercial cleaning company got approved for a $125,000 EIDL loan. So I was like, oh, we'll be okay. Except right. that money never came. 
Hmm. And it still has never come. And that cleaning company actually we had to close. Um, and we had to reshuffle. We were able to reopen and reorganize. And we, we still have a commercial clinic on it was very small in comparison to what it was doing before. Um, and, you know, and then the lockdowns kept going and going. So we had the restaurant, we got the commercial cleaning company that we ended up having to close, reopen, and is doing very poorly that we're kind of like, okay, we just got to get through this period of COVID, right? Right. And the coffee shop is doing okay-ish. And then, you know, about a week or two before the governor announces he's closing the indoor dining again, you know, the commercial cleaning company, we end up having to, like I said, close it. So we applied for and received government assistance. <laughs> like, so we received like food stamps and things like that. Wow. And it come down to the point where it's mainly just me and my wife and like one other person working in this coffee shop. So we had to fire lay off everybody. We're just struggling to survive at this point. Yeah. Um, the unemployment system here in Kentucky is completely broken. Um, oh man, you know, I've heard so many stories about it. And the Kentucky one is the worst in the nation. For those who don't realize, we still have 80,000 open unemployment claims from back over a year and a half ago. Um, wow. They have not worked through. I mean, th this Kentucky was one of the worst unemployed states. He There's 4.4 million people that live in Kentucky. He unemployed 1.1 million of them all at once. And so, you know, you've got 25% of the state that filed an unemployment claim all at one time. And so, you know, he announces he's shutting down. And, you know, here's the thing. I don't, I don't have a, a college degree. I'm, I'm, I went to high school. I worked hard. I saved up money and I started my first business and I grew it and I started another business and I was, you know, growing, right? And that's the point. You're growing. That's the American dream to work hard and achieve more. Yeah. And... You know, this is my shot, right? I mean, if, if, if you are someone in my position where I don't have something like a law degree or doctorate or something like that to fall back on, owning a business is my way for financial mobility in, uh, in America. That yeah, is the way you do it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I sacrifice someone, and this is what people don't understand that don't own businesses. You know, there's times when we were trying to get the clean company going where I was sleeping on the floor of my office getting one hour of sleep using a roll of paper towels as a pillow because if i had driven the 15 minutes home it would have cut the amount of sleep i was going to get in half uh because of the, the 30 minute commute because i was having to cover cleans because of staff and everything else and, and so it's just incredible most people don't even realize that and so when he came in and closed indoor dining we said well we can't afford to actually push people outside you know, we don't have a drive-through. We don't have something like that. You know, 99% of our business was dine-in. You know, local, co a lot of people don't understand. It's so like coffee is a to-go item. No, it's not. It's not. It is for Starbucks, who has a drive-through and a tiny little to-go area. Yeah, but, but not every not... coffee shop has that luxury. Well, and also, too, you know, local coffee shops are gathering places. They're, they're what's called a third place, if you know what that is. But it's a right. place where you, you know, you don't, it's not your office and it's not your house, but you can go there to work, gather, and be there for long periods of time. Yeah. And, you know, Starbucks is in a third place. It used to be, when Starbucks is first opened, they were big, they were open, they had a lot of seating. Now they're much smaller because they became into a fast, quick service model. Yeah. But your local coffee shops are completely dine-in most of the time. And so, you know, we're 90% dine-in. And then they closes it the week of, it was finals week. So, you know, we'd had tons of college studiers out there, which is what we always had a lot of was college students. 
Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was just, the timing was just so terrible. And so we said, listen, we can't, we can't stay close. So what we're going to do is, I got this big bay door. We're going to open it a little bit. And we're going to say we're a patio. Because, it, you know, patio seating was allowed. So I Googled definition of patio. And it said something like, you know, a concrete pad with an overhead ceiling. And while our floors are concrete and we have an overhead and I got this door open, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm a patio. Right. Like you found, um, you found the loophole. <laughs> right. That's what I thought. But, you know, the health department randomly showed up like four days into this new three-week lockdown. And they came in and I had, to give you an idea, when people first thought we were closed and we weren't, nobody could come in and sit down into the patio area, defined as a patio area. Right. We did $100 of revenue that first day. The second day when the health department came in, well, it was the fourth day of the shutdown. The shutdown started on Friday, and then it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So that Monday we did $100. That Tuesday when they came in, because people started realizing they'd still come back, they started realizing it. We'd done like $200 in the first hour. Two hours. Wow. And I had like six, seven people sitting in there, you know, getting breakfast, hanging out, eating. And they came in and they're like, these people can't be in here. And I'm like, well, we're a patio, right? If I need to open up this door more, I can. Or if I need to open up the other doors, they go, no, you have to close. You're not allowed to have indoor dining. And knowing what just happened yesterday with when people thought we were only open for it to go. Knowing what was going on today, knowing that I just gotten government assistance, you know, a week or two ago, knowing all these things, I, you know, I, I, I was like, I'm not going to come back from this if I close. So I simply looked at them and I was like, no, I'm not going to close an indoor dining. I'm not going to. I'm not going to shoot these people out. I, I need to be a business. I can't look at my kid. I can't look my wife in the eye and say, hey, sorry. Uh, we lost everything we'd we'd worked for the last several years. I mean, I mean, take my wife. You know, the whole reason why I married her, I was not really the marrying type, but the right. whole reason why I ended up marrying her is because she worked three jobs to pay our bills while I was paying myself nothing to build my first my first cleaning company business. She would pay herself. Uh, uh, she would sorry work three three jobs. One is a uh, a full time job, and then two serving jobs. To make right. enough money to pay all of our bills so I didn't have to pull anything out of the business that I was trying to build. Because she believed me that much and we weren't even married. God and so bless. you want me to look at her and you want me to look at my, my son who I have missed things from to build up a business, to build up a better life and say, hey, I'm going to sacrifice your future. I'm going to give up everything I've sacrificed. Hey, honey, sorry you gave up literally almost a year of your life working more than you'd have to if I just taken a, a normal job instead of trying to build a business. I'm going to give all that up because this lady from the health department has decided that I'm somehow the greatest risk to mankind ever to be around. And the very fact that I would make somebody a cup of coffee is is going to destroy the world. That's what you want from me. That's government and, officials for you. They don't understand what it's like to own a business. They don't understand they, like how tight they, of margins small business have to work people have built nothing with their lives nothing i mean i love it when when i run into this politician that's a lawyer that owns their own law firm that's like them and like five people and they're like i'm a small business owner too i'm like no you're not no you're not no lawyers what are happens if different. you fail you can go work at another law firm you can go get a job as a lawyer elsewhere you've got a jd 
You know, you're you're not going you're not wrecked. And if they're like, a politician, they have their pay from their legislative position as well. Well, yeah, I mean in Kentucky it's it's like 30k a year. I mean, it's an amount of money, but it's not, you know. But yeah. you, besides that, you know, these are people saying, you know, I'm a small business owner. I know it's like, no you don't. You don't know. You don't know. If you've never not paid yourself, risk getting evicted out of your home just to make sure you made payroll to other people, you don't know what it's really like to own a business. You don't. Amen. You haven't been through the same thing. And so, and I don't say that to downplay anybody else's successes in life. So what I, the reason why I'm saying that is, you know, you have, and, and, and you have these people that say, oh, well, you know, we're the experts. So the expert decided the coffee shop needed to close. But you know what? There wasn't a single restaurant owner in that room that they were talking to. It was, in our state, it was our governor and one other person named Dr. Stack, which is like, you know, our state's Fauci, right? Yeah. So you have our governor, Dr. Stack, sitting in a room making decisions. You know how I know? Because under oath, Dr. Stack said that it was him and the governor in a room making value-based decisions based upon what is important enough to continue, what isn't important enough to continue, what because they recognized they couldn't just shut everything down, so they had to have some things open and some things closed, and because they didn't value a coffee shops and restaurants, which I would argue led it was the most significant contributing factor to overdose deaths. Well, yeah, they deemed you guys non-essential. They deemed us non-essential because that's what they decided. Do you think if a restaurant owner though was in that room, let's say the governor wasn't a lawyer whose daddy was a governor? And he grew up in the governor's mansion, right? Let's say yeah. that wasn't him. Let's say, let's say he was a restaurant owner before he was a governor. Do you think he would have closed down restaurants? Of course not. I don't think he would have. Not for a second, right? And that's what the point is. That, that, that was the problem with the governor making the decisions. It should have always been kicked over to the legislators in all these states to make the decisions. You know, I understand the initial emergency, but this is 16 months. If we can't get our act together... And, and get the legislators start making decisions upon how we're actually going to handle these situations by then. What are we doing? One man doesn't need that much power for 16 months. They shouldn't have that much power, frankly. They shouldn't have that much power. And, and this is why it kicks over to the legislature. This, the Kentucky state legislature is 138 people in the body. Okay, 100 House reps and 38 state senators. Yeah. Those 138 people represent, that's 138 people making the decision, all with different life experiences, all with different constituents. All that have different friends that would talk to them, all with different constituents that email them often that they communicate with. And that is how you make a value-based decision. Uh, if, if, if it's going to come down to a value-based decision-making process, which, you know, we can get into the constitutionality of the closing thing, too, as well, right. if we really want to. But if it's going to come down to a value-based decision-making process, it should be in the legislature where there's 138 people's different values, not in the governor's mansion when there's basically one person and a second guy who he bounces ideas off of. Yeah, make the decisions for the entire state for, like In you said, 4.4 million people. Yeah, 4.4 million people being made one guy. So, you know, and I know I'm probably speaking to the choir, and a lot of people out there listening to this are like, yeah, you know, it's the same thing in my state. I hear you, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I know, you know, you can beat, beat that till it's down. But the uh, point is, is, you know, we just stayed open. We were just like, no, we're staying open. Right. And the health departments didn't know what to do because they tried to call the police to close us, and police were like, we're not, we're not going yeah. to And it's not like they wrote up, like, written up the whole law about it and the punishments or everything. They were just hoping and praying that everyone would just comply. No well, and that's, 
Well, and that's kind of the question too, because there is a law and there isn't a law, right? So there's a law that says you can't operate a restaurant without a license. And there is a known process and legal standards for what happens when you operate a restaurant without a license. Right. But there wasn't a known process for a good number of other things, you know? So what, what ended up happening is, is they called the police to close this police are like, we don't mess with it. So then they decided, okay, well, we're going to take you to civil court for operating a restaurant without a license. So they took away the license and then took me to court for operating a restaurant without the license. That's the process they were following, but now they have to prove why what? they took the license. Yeah, it's weird, but that's the, that's their enforcement process. So to give you a, an example of why this problem, hold on one second. Yeah, I was going to say that's manipulating the, the government. Well, and that's, like the... and that's the thing, right? They only give you a license, take it away. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, one of the philosophies, uh, you know, I encourage a lot of people to, to think about hard is if something is legal to give away, but illegal to sell without a license, the license isn't there for your protection. It's there to protect the state. And to also make money off of it. I mean, imagine how much they make in revenue from all those licensing fees. It's control, it's tyranny, it's oppression, and then it's also to make money. It's to feed the state money while also, they're not doing it for your safety. If I can cook you a meal, I love it too. There's this, and not to get off in the weeds, but we're going to get off in the weeds for a second. Go for it, There's this national legislation that I really like called the Prime Act. It was put forward by Thomas Massey, right? Oh, yeah, the dope. (laughs) If, if, if you guys, do you know what the Prime Act is by chance now? Have you looked at it at all? I've, I've read through the bill. I've read, I've read what it okay. does. Yeah. So, it's, it's, so for those who aren't aware, right now, I can go buy like a quarter of a cow and it can get processed for me. So I can go to a farm and buy a quarter of a cow, half a cow, or a whole cow. And it can get, pro- this is in Kentucky. I, every state's a little bit different. Right. And it can get processed for me and I can get my hamburger and my steaks and whatever, right? But if I go to them and I say, you know what, I just want steaks. And then another random guy comes up and says, you know what, I just want hamburger. That's what's called custom processing. And you can only do that in an FDA facility. Or I'm sorry, USDA facility. And in the USDA facility, you have to have a full-time USDA person at all times there during the processing that the processor has to pay for. So that there's an increased cost to process. And there's also an increased cost then to get the cut simply because I decided I didn't want hamburger and this guy wanted hamburger and I wanted his steaks. Okay. So, so there's an example of something that changed. So the prime act of justice to say, you know, custom processing, um, we don't need to do that anymore. Right. And it, and, and this reared its ugly head. And this is why 80% of our, our meat here in America comes from four companies, two of which are owned by foreign companies, one by Brazil, one by China. And then two other companies. Yeah. Um, and this, we saw this with the cyber attack that happened on the Brazilian company that shut down 25% of our meat supply. Yeah. And the reason why they have such a large market share is because of this USDA uh, legislation. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an enforcement of the monopoly they have because they're processing such large amounts that the cost is so negated that's not as expensive as if you're going, and, and then also too, they're controlling these processors. So you, the farmer can't just like, if you have 20 cows, that's one thing. But if you have like a thousand cows, you're stuck. If you're getting to that much where you're raising a thousand cows, that is the only outfit that can process a thousand cows. That is who you're stuck selling to. And they can buy meat at whatever price they decide they want. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, like with these conglomerates, 
you know, we have such a huge market share, any legislation that would, you know, increase competition would scare them. And I'm sure they'd pull out all the stops to, to oppose it. Right, right. And, th- and that's what the, the Prime Act um, is there to... Um, it increases free market competition. Yeah, is to get rid of that legislation, right? That's what the Prime Act is for. So, um, you know, and the, and the reason why I bring that up is because... I was I was talking to a legislator or somebody about it, and they're like, "Yeah, but what about like it only takes one bad meat strain then, and then nobody buys the meat here in Kentucky or blah blah blah." I'm like, first off, people don't want to get sick, so they're not going to they're naturally not going to sell bad meat because that's how your business gets destroyed, right? Yeah. But also as well, um, does the does the USDA inspect your fridge every day? No, so you buy that meat. It can go bad in the fridge well, after you've purchased it, and then you eat bad meat that way. Yeah, and it's already been you know, approved sure that by the USDA and everything. Yeah. Right, and, and uh, you know what? I'm sorry, but you know, basic needs of humans, eating, drinking, shelter, right? Food, water, shelter. That's the three basic needs, right? Yeah. If you don't know how to know what meat-wise is good for me to eat, okay for me to eat, not okay for me to eat, that's one of your three basic things you need to survive. Like, you don't need a government agency to tell you, shouldn't, to tell you, like, okay, now you can't eat that. That might kill you. Like, that's one of your three basic needs. Like, you should master that. Especially, you shouldn't, I'm sorry, you shouldn't be able to become an adult and make it in this world if you don't know what I can eat or can't eat. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's basic stuff. And so, and, and that was my point to them about it. And, and you know what? And once again, though, if that same farmer goes out and slaughters that cow and just gives away the meat to whoever wants it, not a problem. But if he wants to sell it, now you need the USDA inspector. So that's, 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 that's what I mean by tyranny. So you take here in Kentucky, you take the health department. They set the license fees. They set the inspection fees. They're the ones who do it. They're the ones who set the standards for it. And then they come in and they say, Hey, we are completely unaccountable to any elected body. The health departments here in Kentucky are not elected. They're not run by a board that's elected. They're not run by the city council. They're not run by this county uh, judge executive. They're not run by, they're run by a board that was created when the health departments were created with the initial legislation that created the health departments that created a board. Then the board votes on and puts other people on the board as they see fit, and then they vote for their own chair. They are completely unaccountable to wow. any. And so you have an entity, because even grocery stores have to get licensed by the health department. So here you have an entity that license everything you eat, tells you how much it's going to cost for them to license and provide this wonderful service of licensing that is completely unaccountable to anyone controlling one of your basic needs and you know that's that's an example of what they were doing during covid where they're weaponizing those types of groups and that's what they did so they weaponized the health departments and so they weaponized the health department to take away our license and then you know we go to court and the judge ends up ruling that uh we can't serve or prepare food because of the governor's order right but the governor's order is wrote in such a way that you could still have people come in if uh, people could still come in and sit and they could even eat. You just couldn't prepare them the food. That's how the order was wrote. 
Right. So food truck showed up outside my coffee shop and just started selling coffee and food randomly. It just randomly showed up. It was so weird. And uh, just like like clockwork, the day after the judge issues a ruling, all of a sudden this food truck shows up. It's yeah, I mean, it's almost like with New York City, too, when uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio imposed the lockdowns and all the restaurants found specific loopholes in order in order to um kind of like build like almost build up the restaurants again except on the street like oh yeah you can have a set of tables you can have like a roof and all this other stuff basically having another building or facility without having a building or facility and it's like, so it, it just doesn't make sense it's so ridiculous and it's like you know what and that goes into the constitutionality of these closures right so a lot of people like to say oh it's unconstitutional for the government to close these businesses I'd argue it's completely constitutional, but there's a process for it. And it's in our Fifth Amendment takings clause. And it makes it very clear that if you want, you can, the government can take property from their citizens. However, they have to justly compensate them. Mm -hmm. So my argument was if all along while these businesses were being closed, the government should have have to come in and compensate the owners of the companies on top of the staff, whatever revenue they were losing by doing so. And if the government had to do that, I bet you the lockdowns would have lasted maybe a, a day or two at the most to, for them to get a handle. And they would be constantly looking at, okay, how do we open up safely? And they'd be coming into facilities and saying, all right, you need improved ventilation. Um, that's all you need. So here, here, we're going to put in this little improved ventilation for you. And now we're going to let you open and operate fully because we can't keep paying you to stay closed. And then we're going to go to the next restaurant. We're going to look at every situation differently. They come into Brood and they'd say, well, Brood, you got this garage door you got open. So you know what? You have good airflow. So you don't need to close because that's the facts of the, of COVID. I mean, there's a reason why there hasn't been a single outbreak on a plane because they circulate their air. Yeah. Right. They circulate. And so, you know, that's a, that's a perfect example of the way they should have handled it. But and they still mandate masks on planes to this day. Which is so weird. So weird. Still and so, sense. you know, so uh, food trucks show up, they're serving. That upsets the health department. They try to hold us in contempt. The judge dismisses the case. And he says, nah, they're not in contempt. So the health department in order to stop the embarrassment bleeding of people buying food from a food truck and walking inside, sitting down and eating it, offers to give us back our food permit. We end up taking it back like two or three days before the end of what was supposed to be the lockdowns. But by us staying open, uh, we we inspired and, and worked with a, a group called the Kentucky Restaurant Rescue Coalition. Right. And they put out a, a thing that people signed saying that, and, and over a thousand restaurants signed on saying that when this current lockdown order was set to expire, if he didn't reopen the restaurants to 50% capacity, they were going to open anyways. And lo and behold, because of my case and kind of inspiring them and some precedent set in my case, um, they realized very quickly they couldn't afford it. They just couldn't afford to keep this lockdown going. So he lifted the lockdown. Right. What what will be what would be the record highest case day uh, in Kentucky's history? Announces he's he's opening back up. He didn't lock down again over Christmas. The reason why they locked down over Thanksgiving is because of the holiday. But yet they didn't do it over Christmas either. So he opens back up and, you know, we're back 50% capacity. You still got to wear masks or everything else. So a lot of people would be done no. there. I just, I wasn't done yet. And so when I realized, okay, he's leaving me alone, I started working with a lot of other restaurants on staying open, on dealing with masks. Because at first they tried to enforce against masks against us too. We got like three violations for masks and we were able to fight those and they dismissed the violations. And then they left us alone about masks. 
like they left us alone about masks forever. Like right. we did not have to quote unquote require masks in our space like ever after November. <laughs> um, and the mask mandate wasn't officially lifted until like a month ago. And yeah. so, and the reason why is because they were afraid to enforce against us. We turned into a media storm, terrible crap show for them. And it turned into such such a crap show like that that they ended up turning around and saying, I, I don't I don't want to keep engaging with this guy. If we keep enforcing against him, he's going to keep making us look stupid. Yeah, so, you, you kept being a thorn this side. Right. And they're like, we can't afford this. So they just stopped enforcing against me. So I went on the offensive. I'm like, okay, you want to stop bullying me? Okay, what's step, what step to it? So I started helping other restaurants out. And then our legislator got into session. And I said, you know what? This governor needs to go. I mean, one of the most egregious things he did during this lockdown was he uh, was going to arrest. And the only reason why he didn't was because there was an injunction filed in federal court that stopped him. He was going to arrest people for going to church. So people went to church on Easter. He had KSP, Kentucky State Police, put notices on their car windshields saying that they were going they needed to self-quarantine now for three weeks. And if they took a step outside of their homes, he was going to arrest them. Wow. And that went to federal court. And the federal court, of course, was like, no, you can't be doing that. Yeah. I remember so, uh, TJ and Chris even uh, mentioned that a couple episodes ago. Right, right. Yeah, TJ and Chris, they were the, Chris was the attorney on that one, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that's extremely egregious because it came out that not only, so there's something called good faith. So, and this happens, right? So sometimes you make legislation or you make a ruling as government and it gets ruled to be unconstitutional, okay? So doing something that it, it turns out to be unconstitutional in and of itself isn't grounds for impeachment, right? Because um, you can say, well, we didn't know, you don't, it's kind of like one of those crimes that you don't know it's a crime until after the crime's committed. Like the right. court haven't even decided if it's a crime or not. And so we can't get you in trouble for committing it. And we haven't even decided that's a crime. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Cause you're going to have, we shouldn't have legislators or governors that are afraid to, to do things that because they might be ruled unconstitutional. I mean, you know, we to th put it on the other side for anybody listening. That's like, of course we do. Well, do you want a case to be heard? Do you want to see a governor make a rule that says something like, let's go crazy out the deep and I don't know how your listeners feel, but let's say abortions, uh, a governor makes a ruling or a legislator, sorry, passes a law saying abortions aren't allowed in the state. Right. And now that triggers a constitutional crisis that would end up in the Supreme Court to say whether or not, because, you know, abortions in prior rulings have been ruled constitu uh, a constitutionally protected thing. Yeah, Roe versus and, Wade. Right. And so if if you think just because they did something unconstitutional, they should be impeached, that isn't an accurate statement. It's just not, right? But here's why it's different for the governor. One is, is uh, you can't say arresting people for going to church, even on its surface, is good faith. We all know. It's unconstitutional. Like, it's the first one. It's the first thing. It's like the first yeah. thing in the Constitution. Exactly. It's Peacefully like freedom, like freedom of a religion. Peacefully come together. Like, yeah. that, it is that thing. Like, like, you don't have, you read three sentences in and you've pretty much covered why you can't be doing that, right? But yeah. on top of that, there's this communication that came out through an ORR that the um, 
chief of police, the chief, the the head supervisor there, Rodney Brewer was his name, of KSP, had had communications with Bashir and was like, "This is clearly a First Amendment rights violation." Yeah, and they're like, "Yeah." So like he they, knew. Like, he yeah, knew. so that was the point, right? And how much did he know? Because what we have through the ORR was the KSP supervisor advising his people that be careful as you're enforcing this order that says arrest people for going to church because this is clearly a First Amendment rights violation. Yeah. So, so, you know, that isn't a good faith thing, right? So if you said, you know, oh, hey, I am, I am breaking the First Amendment and I know it, that's not good faith anymore. You're breaking the law. That is, an, that is an established thing. You know it's an established thing, and you're you're breaking it. And so, you know, that was one of the leading things in our impeachment petition. There's several others. We have a, um, a guideline in our Constitution that says you can't make arbitrary laws or state constitutions. Um, and, you could argue that with most COVID-related uh, lockdowns. Right, right, and that's the thing. Like, almost every COVID lockdown. And so, you know, what if, if the impeachment committee had had a – a reason or they were really trying to push for uh they really wanted to get to the bottom of this what they would have done is said you know what okay let's take that claim because there's 10 claims made in the impeachment petition so here in kentucky we don't have a recall what we have is the citizens can file a a impeachment petition and then a impeachment committee can be formed to hear those that those filings right, right. um and so um, they were hearing those filings. So if I was sitting on that committee, I would at least say, you know what, about the arbitrary claim, I would have at least been like, how did you make these decisions? I want to see the science behind this. Because, yeah. you know, like, what is this? Because people are crying for that all along. They're like, yeah, what's the tr- science? Trust the science. science? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that everybody who was victims of the lockdowns would say, what is the science? Can we see it? What is the thing? that you're basing your decision on. We just want that clarity. And so I think that would have been a great opportunity for them to do that. They didn't do it because they just didn't want to impeach him. And they didn't want to impeach him because he's good for fundraising. He's good fodder. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't want to impeach him because um, they want him to be the one they run against in 23 because they know they'll win against him because he's so hated, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were like, no, we're going to keep him in for those reasons. Now they didn't say that out loud, but that was the. Assumption. It was clear, like everyone yeah. knew. That that was the reason why. There's not a good reason not to impeach the governor. I mean, he's arresting people for going to church. You had indications it wasn't good faith. You could have definitely dug into the arbitrary notion of it all. You you um as well as you know he was found to have violated the constitution like five times in federal court, different times. You know, like you had all the like if you can't get impeached for going for arresting people for going to church what do you get impeached for like i'm just curious what what is the the line we draw right and 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 you know the at the end of the day the rule is here in kentucky is what is impeachable and what is not is completely defined by the legislator it doesn't even matter what's wrote down in law the legislator could impeach him for sneezing weird if they wanted to and so the point is is they wanted to impeach him they had good enough reason to they could have done it it would have been a political win they didn't want to because they want to run against him. And they're right. I mean, it will cause more fundraising and it will cause them to win and it will give them more power in 22 election. But the real question is, are they going to be there to enjoy it? I don't know. You know, we'll see what 
and Emily, you would normally hear music coming from bars like Old Red and Acme Feed and Seed here on Lower Broadway, but tonight they are quiet after taking the mayor's advice and choosing to close temporarily starting this evening. However, not everyone is on board. Criticism that failing to comply means putting profit over people's health. They're in it for the fight. It's a fight that will be between business owners and city officials. Attorney Brian Lewis saying the mayor's mandate to close bars on Lower Broadway amid COVID-19 concerns, but to target on people's livelihood. Our main concern are the 800 plus employees we have and the hundreds of musicians on Lower Broad. His client, Steve Smith, owner of Tootsie's and other Broadway bars, plans to request a temporary restraining order, calling the declaration to shut down bars potentially unconstitutional. We will continue business and, until a, a legal authority tells us we have to padlock our doors and shut down. But not everyone feels the same. Will Newman, owner of Edley's Barbecue and Poncho and Lefties in downtown, supports the decision. We want to be a partner with local health officials to um, make sure we're being, um, whatever we can do to, to limit the spread as quickly as possible. But he admits businesses like his will need financial help, especially after they're still recovering from the tornado almost two weeks ago. Whatever we can do to lessen the blow, we want to, but there's going to there's gonna be a lot of um, bipartisan support. Rain or shine, it's still so fun. Right. Rain, shine, or in this case, coronavirus, isn't enough to stop folks from flocking to Lower Broadway, from tourists to locals alike. It's my birthday. It's my birthday, too, and this is my daughter. Hello. This video, people standing shoulder to shoulder inside a Broadway bar, caught the attention of many, and not for good reasons. Radio host Bobby Bones calling it irresponsible. Artist Marin Morris saying, Broadway, you aren't a hero for staying open. As health officials push for social distancing, people we spoke to aren't letting a pandemic ruin their fun. Our country is the best one to deal with something like this. Taking our chances, I ain't gonna stop living. Just be smart, wash your hands, don't touch your face. That same attorney you saw say the company will gladly pay employees time off if they are legitimately sick or had concerns about symptoms. Tootsie's owner sent a statement earlier saying that he has compassion for patients and for folks managing the coronavirus outbreak, but went on to say how a patron mentioned surviving the polio epidemic and never recalled seeing such extreme measures, finishing the statement by saying they will close bars if those instructions come from the governor. Reporting live in downtown tonight, I'm Matthew Torres, News Channel 5. No one likes to mandate people to do things that they may not want to do. But sometimes for the greater good of society, you have to do that. You got to start telling people if you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this office or this place of business. We really need to make it clear that there are privileges associated with being an American, that if you wish to have these privileges, you need to get vaccinated. Travel and having the right to travel interstate, it's not a constitutional right as far as I'm as far as I know. Getting vaccinated is not a personal choice. It's not. It's something that we do for the community. I think that he should approach this with an iron fist. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come to work. People aren't then going to threaten to go to another workplace. If every workplace has that same requirement, that's a good thing. So I don't think it's overreach. I think this is what's needed in the middle of a pandemic. And in fact, I think the Biden administration, if anything, could have gone even further. And those governors that stand in the way, I think it was very clear from the president's tone today 
that uh, he will run over them. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this gym. Screw your freedom, because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and, and responsibilities. Your personal choice ends where my right not to get killed by an infectious disease begins. So we have these collective actions for the good of the community, not the individual. We don't live in a bubble. We live in a community. And that is why there have been a number of instances throughout history where we have made a decision as a society to abide by common rules to protect the common good. We really have to uh, you know, think in terms of what is best for society at this point. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't come into this, get onto this airplane. You can stay unvaccinated if you want, but you're not going to be able to travel to see your family. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin encouraging people before we get to the mandate. But even after all these efforts, we still had more than a quarter of the people in the United States who were eligible for vaccinations but didn't get the shot. And we know there is no other way to beat the pandemic than to get the vast majority of Americans vaccinated. It's as simple as that. And to, and to, to spread to our children, to spread throughout society and our hospitals, or the risk of other variants, it's all dangerous and obvious, but we're still not there. We have to beat this thing. So while I didn't race uh, to do it right away, that's why I've had to move toward requirements that everyone get vaccinated where I had the authority to do that. That wasn't my first instinct. My administration is now requiring federal workers to be vaccinated. We've also required federal contractors to be vaccinated. If you have a contract with the federal government working for the federal government, you have to be vaccinated. We're requiring active duty military to be vaccinated. We're making sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you. The Labor Department is going to shortly issue an emergency rule, which I asked for several weeks ago, and they're going through the process, to require all employees with more than 100 people, whether they work for the federal government or not, this is within the, uh, in the purview of the Labor Department, to ensure their workers are fully vaccinated or face testing at least once a week. In total, this Labor Department vaccination requirement will cover 100 million Americans, about two-thirds of all the people who work in America. And here's the deal. These requirements are already proving that they work. Starting in July, when I announced the first vaccination requirement for the federal government, about 95 million eligible Americans were unvaccinated, as was mentioned a little bit earlier. Today, we've reduced that number to 67 eligible Americans who aren't vaccinated. And today, we released a new report outlining effective vaccination requirements that are already proving their, their worth. Just like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide, I'll do everything in my power as the President of the United States to encourage people to do the right thing and when they do it, demonstrate that it matters. That's why I said on my, in my inaugural speech, I'm going to ask people to commit for 100 days to wear a mask. Not because I'm asking it uh, to, for any reason to punish. This is not a political issue. It's become one. But if people do it for 100 days in the middle of what will be still a raging crisis and the vaccine is able to be distributed, they're going to see deaths drop off the edge. They're going to see hundreds of thousands of people not getting sick. And my hope is they'll be then inclined to say, OK, it's worth 
it's worth the patriotic duty to go ahead and protect other people. This whole pandemic, everything is so new. Everything is like constantly changing, constantly like evolving. A teacher and a hospitality worker in San Jose tonight, fully vaccinated and not quite sure what to think about information that comes out of the Center for Disease Control. They're always changing, right? So the only thing that I can say is just be informed, stay informed and um, do the best that you can. Their reaction comes after hearing this statement from CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. The director is referring to a new CDC study of 4,000 frontline workers. Some of them were vaccinated and some were not. They tested themselves weekly for COVID infections between December and March. Among fully vaccinated people in the study, there were only three COVID-19 infections detected. Unvaccinated participants logged 161 COVID cases. Scientific evidence experts say proves fully vaccinated people are protected in two ways. Essentially, vaccines block you from getting and giving um, the virus. UCSF infectious disease specialist Dr. Monica Gandhi says this new information is significant. You can feel safe as a vaccinated person going indoor dining, going to a gym, going to the movies. You can feel safe, she says, without being reckless. Now, out in public, since we don't know who's vaccinated, who's not, we're going to still maintain masks and distancing until everyone who wants to get a vaccine can get it. Cheryl Hurd, NBC Bay Area News. Two questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this something the government is trying to put over on us? Is this something the companies want to take advantage of? Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the past few months. We've had clinical trials, and thanks to the volunteers in that trial, in tens of thousands who have put themselves on the line to prove to the country and the world that these are safe and effective products. It is really bittersweet. The bitterness is the fact of what the vice president mentioned. We still are in the middle of a very difficult situation with record numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. But the sweetness is the light at the end of the tunnel, which I can tell you as we get into January, February, March, and April, that light is going to get brighter and brighter. And the bitterness is going to be replaced by the sweetness. And we all hope, and I think this is doable, that by the time we get to several months into this year, we will have enough people protected that we can start thinking seriously about the return to normality. And that's up to all of us to step forward and get vaccinated. Thank you. So as you know, a year ago, I received my COVID vaccine when I gladly signed up for a clinical trial here in the United States with AstraZeneca. I, uh, as a participant of a clinical trial, I was constantly reassured that if something were to go wrong, there would 
be thorough and meticulously developed protocols in place to provide a safety net, that the data would be collected and the benefits as well as the risks would be assessed and disclosed to the public. I never had any issue with any vaccine, so I figured this was going to be a smooth, easy ride. No big deal. Prior to my involvement, the pharmaceutical company agreed to pay any medical expense as a result of a possible injury. Unfortunately, for a lack of support on their part, we have had to refinance our home to pay for our medical expenses. Like Maddie's trial, we had a tracking app. Like Maddie's trial, our tracking app had pre-designated symptoms in a bullet list with no free form to add any other symptoms. So anything like tingling, tremors, seizures, paresthesias, heart problems, limb weakness, there was no way for us to track that through the app. The clinical trial report published by the New England, New England Journal of Medicine, if I have that slide, it says that the second dose is required to continue in a study. Because my reaction was so severe, AstraZeneca told me I was not allowed to get the second dose. They dropped me from the trial. My data was lost. I was excluded from the trial results. My access to the trial app was deleted. This is different than what is found in the report, which says that these individuals chose to forego the second dose. Because I couldn't finish the series, I was removed. Why doesn't this data matter? The clinical trial report also says serious adverse events will be recorded from the time of signed informed consent through day 730. I last heard from them on day 60. I am almost at day 365. That is 10 months of critical safety data gone. I continued to suffer in decline as the trial progressed without me. So what are the agencies doing about this? As we have heard, there's a lot of questions that need answers. The heads of the NIH, FDA, and CDC have known firsthand about my case and thousands of others. These direct reports began as early as last December. I, along with several injured physicians, continued to reach out to the FDA through emails, phone calls. We did video conferences with Peter Marks and Janet Woodcock, constant emails with Janet Woodcock and myself directly. We have literally asked and we have begged repeatedly for them to acknowledge these reactions. They declined. They know about their lack, they know that their lack of acknowledgement has recreated, created insurmountable barrier to our ability to receive medical care from doctors who rely on these agencies for information. They know about the issues with the clinical trials. They know about the deaths. They know about the lack of follow-up on VAERS. They know about the injuries to children. They know about Maddie. I have discussed Maddie with them. They know about the mandates imposed on the injured. They know about the suicides as the results of months-long suffering. They know about the aggressive censorship. They know about the media censorship. They know about the scientific censorship. They know all of it. And they have for months. What does the NIH know? 
I was one of a lucky few to go to the NIH for research in this area. There was about 50 to 60 people that participated in this research. There was invasive testing, all of the top of the line tests you can imagine, tests that aren't even available to the public. We were instructed by the NIH not to talk about the research. We gladly complied, confident in their reassurances that they would publish their research last summer, which would finally open the door for all victims, all of these people, to receive appropriate medical care. Unfortunately, the NIH is no longer accepting calls on behalf of the injured. This happened shortly after the FDA met with us. This vital lifeline that saved hundreds, myself included, and maybe thousands, that lifeline has now been cut off. The NIH has told me and others that this is an immune-mediated response to the spike protein. CDC, FDA, NIH, we do exist. Your system is broken and you know it. You are constantly and persistently telling the public that your review of the data is thorough and your safety signaling systems are robust. When in reality, there is huge gaps in your system every single step of the way. You are not taking care of those who suffer severe adverse reactions. Stop telling the public that you are. Your refusal to take action means there will be more like us. Take responsibility for your role in the suffering of good Americans who did their part by taking the vaccine and had no idea this could happen to them. Here's your proper informed consent. If you get COVID, you will get medical help. But I'm, I'm afraid to tell you, if you have this reaction, that reaction, that reaction, Maddie's reaction, Doug's reaction, you are on your own. The government won't help you. The drug companies won't help you. Your medical teams will have no idea what to do with you. Financially, you will be on your own you will be completely on your own. I would like to finish with a letter from a friend. That I received a couple of months ago. Bree. I cannot take this any longer. This has taken everything away from me. My career, my family, my life. My body will not stop attacking itself. And this is beyond the worst amount of torture. They have further erased my very existence. Please accept my apologies. I must bid farewell to this world. Please tell our stories. Please make sure the world knows 
the cruelty that has been imposed upon us. Goodbye, my dear friend. I will see you on the flip side. Rochelle Walensky, Janet Woodcock, Peter Marks, Anthony Fauci. You erased her and the many others like her. Their blood is on your hands. You cannot bring my friends back, but you can save others from their fate if you finally just tell the truth. If the government won't help us, if the drug companies won't help us, who will help us? Thank you. There were something like 2,000 people on your various Facebook groups, uh, support groups, uh, people like your friend there that were using that group to comfort each other, uh, provide counseling to, in your case, you're providing counseling to people who are suicidal. Uh, literally within a week, I remember talking to Ken Rutgers, that group had grown to about 5,000. And then, describe what Facebook did to your support groups. They found us and quickly pulled us apart. They eliminated every single person in those groups, and we lost contact with a lot of people that were in crisis. So you mentioned your testimony that NIH knows about this, CDC knows about this, FDA knows about this. Uh, I appreciate what media came here, but not only did we invite these agency heads, we invited mainstream media or more mainstream media. You know, let me get my levels here. I'm still mad. And I think you should be too. Now, my anger, luckily, is not as potent as it was, but it's still there, just kind of simmering under the surface. I'm still angry. I'm angry at how they played us, and I'm angry that we... Gave it the time of day. And that it continues to divide us. What makes me angriest, right? I've, I've gotten my head at least halfway around how these public officials are operating out of a, you know, a place of self-defense. You know, they want to protect their own jobs. The, the bureaucracy defends itself. What makes, me, what makes me mad is all the people I know who are not stupid, who are not dumb, who are not bad, 
but who went along anyways and even still refuse to repent. And I know that sounds awfully high and mighty, but we all lived through the last three years, right? And some of us maybe have a better recollection than others, but I remember. That's why I put this episode together, because I remember. I remember how they made me feel for being hesitant, for being selfish. It's the great irony. By being selfish, I'm also helping you. If I fail, you fail. And vice versa, right? Maybe that's not how it, how it works on Wall Street, but that's how it works on Main Street. Did you pick up on the theme that both of those guys, right? Matt and... Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, I should look. I should look, but I can't remember their names. I'm I'm sorry. They both have interesting names, last names in particular. Um fuck. It's okay. Both of those guys got fucked over on licensing, right? Licenses handed out by the state that say that you can legally operate a business which they deem otherwise, you know, under their control, their purview. And it's funny because I was talking to somebody recently, you know, at, at this new gig where I'm, I'm a stagehand. We, we have time, we chat. And I, I mentioned how I stopped paying for my nursery dealer's license because I don't really do landscaping anymore. And I actually know for a fact that in the state of Indiana, vegetable plants are protected under cottage food law. You do not need a license to sell, to buy or sell, I'll say, vegetable starts. So if I'm not buying ornamental shrubs or flowers, I don't need a license. Now, I don't think you should need a license to buy and sell plants in general. You know, these two guys at the beginning, they're both running for public office. And it's kind of ironic because you know that I don't have a whole lot of faith in government. And the fact that both of these guys stand little to no chance of winning is part of the problem. You know, if I lived in either of their states, I would I would consider supporting them for their ability to articulate the point, if nothing else. Do I have faith that they will get elected and make any radical change? No. But it's good to know that there's people out there doing that that type of work. 
And if I heard of one in my home state who really inspired me, I would consider I would consider abandoning my anarchism for a moment to support someone who wants to make change from within. The problem is they're very, very few and far between. Just like just like business owners who were willing to defy mandates. Very few and far between. Which is why I find it interesting that both of these guys, you know, both like restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, small business owners, who were were willing and able to stand up at least to the best of their abilities and point out the insanity of these unnecessary measures. And now both of them are running for public office. These are brave men. The fact that I'm an anarchist and that I don't vote or at least I haven't. You know, I, I could qualify that. Maybe someday I'll tell you the whole story. I went to the ballot box once, but it hardly counts. And that's all I'll say. But the fact that I don't vote does not negate the fact that these two men inspire me. The fact that they're putting in the effort to run for office with the odds stacked against them. At the very least, it does give them the opportunity to speak on a public platform, a, a public stage, you know, in the commons. And perhaps they are persuading the conversation. But at the very least, I have a whole lot of respect for these couple of guys, right? I included a clip there from Nashville, Tennessee, where the owner of several bars, including um, Tootsie's, apparently, he initially stood against the, the lockdowns, the mandates, but he eventually caved. And I can't blame him. I mean... I'm not trying to put him down by pointing that out, but he is not the hero. You know, the hero, or rather heroes, are the first two guys who stuck it out, who fought tooth and nail, and are still doing so. And I find it inspiring the power that we do have as a collective voice. You know, I, I, I had a long section in there from Andrew. Andrew Copperwriter. That's his name. We had Matt. Oh, damn. Damn, damn, damn. I could find out. My phone's all the way over there. Oh, fuck. But it was Matt and Andrew. And Andrew, I, I, I put that like 30-minute section of his rant, you know, because I couldn't pick a good time to cut him off. It was difficult to find a start and an end. It was longer, but I cut it down to that like 30 minutes, maybe 20 something. 
And it's because he he made a lot of sense. You know, talking about the USDA and the FDA. And then, you know, at the end there, I forget her name too. I should have written all these down, but I'll try. I'll try to put it into the show notes. But that gal at the end, you know, that testimony from the, uh, you know, she was a clinical trial uh, patient for the for the vaccine, and they they tried to throw her under the rug, but she still has a voice, and she's speaking on other people's behalf, people who were harmed and disregarded and acted as if they didn't exist. You know, everybody who claims to have our best interests at heart are proving time and time again to be serving their own interests exclusively. And it makes me mad. You know, when you when you really think about it, it makes me so mad and I don't want to be mad you know I'm grateful I think I've gotten control of my anger but the bummer of it is you know if if you're a fan of this show you know that I have not been as reliable lately because I don't want to record angry And if I'm not angry, I tend to be kind of sad. You know, the whole thing. It's like, those are my two choices. I can either be pissed off or kind of depressed. And it's too damn bad. But those are the emotions that I've been feeling. And I don't want to, I don't want to spread that. I don't want to share that. I, I kind of shut down when I feel these things. But I am inspired. You know, I just first heard the story of, I can remember the name of his restaurant. His restaurant is called Gourmelts. <laughs> Whatever his last name was. And he... He inspired me today. I heard his story. And I enjoyed it. And that's why I'm talking to you. He got me back up and going. A little inspiration goes a long way. You know, to be honest, I've been kind of just trying to keep my feet under me. You know, I've been working hard. But I don't have much to show for it. So I had to pick up this gig as a stagehand. And it's it's kind of brutal at times. At other times it's really easy. But the hours are kind of brutal. Late nights, early mornings. Sometimes back to back. So I'm getting used to that. And I want you to know that this podcast is not going anywhere. But there might be times where I need to adjust. You know, I've said it many times, 
My ideal is two episodes a week, but you may not always get that, and I'm asking you to understand. At least for now, until I can make a full-time go of it, this is what you get. So, you know, I guess I'll try to just end by saying it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. But what are we going to do about it? Where do we go from here? How do we fight back? You know, I am all about peaceful, you know, non-compliance. It's inspiring. When they want you to shut up, that's when you should talk. When they want you to close your doors, that's when you should say, fuck you. I'm staying open. Because they don't have any right to tell you what you can do with your, with your labor, with your pr- productive capacity, with your capital. I'm pretty extreme. I think you should do anything you want so long as you don't create a victim in the process. And a lot of victims were created throughout the last few years. It's so weird to say few. But it's been over two, if I'm not mistaken. And I have fences to mend or or finish burning, you know? I think a lot of us are at that point. It's kind of like, if you don't get it yet, I don't know if you ever will. And I'm going to stop trying to convince you. you know, instead, I'm going to try to build my network with people I don't have to convince. With people who get it and who are using it as a fucking fuel to burn. You know, something to, to get us fucking going because we need to get our shit in gear they've played their hand you know we need to play ours and we need to play it smart you know they they throw down a fucking flush we're gonna go with the straight which I'm (laughs) I feel like I need to double check but I think the straight is more powerful (laughs) I hope it is because it seems more difficult. We got to get our ducks in a row. We got to do things in the right way. We can't rely on violence and extortion the way they do. We have to be smarter and more logical and more moral. We have to create Networks of food distribution that are outside of their their system of control that is so key, it is so central 
If we don't do that, we are fucked. You know, we can put solar panels on the roof and have a backup generator and we can store a bunch of canned goods. But until we have a local, resilient food system, our days are numbered. They still control us. We have to be able to do commerce direct, face-to-face with the farmer, or at the very least, with the guy who talks to the farmer. No more of this bullshit, you know, Cisco, Gordon Foods, you know, Walmart, Kroger, Costco, fucking go down to doc, you know, go down to fucking Farmer Joe instead. At least as much as fucking possible. And I'm guilty as as much as anybody. I, you know, I do what I do. I eat what I eat. But I could do so much better. And it's, it's people like this that make me want to quit fucking around. You know, I know the marching orders. Trouble is, they're really, really difficult. You know, this mission is not for the faint of heart. But we have to commit to it. I'm sick and tired of letting people gaslight me and it actually working. You know, wondering if I'm the asshole. I've done too much of that. Now, I might not be perfect. I can be an asshole. Sometimes you have to be. But man, did they have us twisted up, turned inside out, upside down, and sideways all at the same time. I, 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 my only regret is letting them get to me. I was on the right track because the right track is liberty, voluntarism, fucking you do you, I'll do me, and let's cooperate when the time comes. It's not that complicated. But when you have these fucking, you know, that's the crazy thing. We all act like we live in a democracy. You forget that it's the bureaucrats that actually make the decisions. It doesn't have to be a law to be a law. You know, you have zoning, you have, you know, health codes, you've got fire codes, you've got, I mean, I get that all this comes from, you know, a desire for safety and stability, but when it becomes, you know, when it gets to the point where, like Andrew was talking about with the cows, where it makes no sense to go from 20 cows to a thousand because, Once you get to a thousand, you're in their game and there's no way out. You know, I got into a little bit of a disagreement, you know, debate. We'll say I was telling the story to a guy I was working with the other day doing the stagehand stuff. 
you know, he, he told me a story about getting pulled over for some nonsense and getting a ticket. And I said, Oh, let me tell you one. I said, one time I was out paddling a canoe. Some of you know this story. I'll give you the short version, but paddling a canoe on the 4th of July with a friend of mine and we get stopped by the boat police, right? G.I. Joe looking motherfuckers. And they stop us because the tags on the boat are out of date. So we buy the new tags. But it turns out, well, that's not the only problem. You know, where's your life jackets? Well, here's one, but, you know, that's the only one. Oh, you got to have two. You got to have one per person. And this is a problem. You know, we have no discretion. We have to give you a fine. For your own safety, for your own good, we're going to fine you and we're going to escort you off the lake on the 4th of fucking July. Again, I'm an anarchist. I don't over-glamorize Independence Day, but I do kind of like what it stands for. The breaking away of a tyrannical power, independence from the overarching fucking authority I don't celebrate the 4th of July as, you know, rah-rah government. It's the opposite. But we get stopped, we get slapped with a fee, 100 and some dollars, 150 something. Might have been more. And we were 10 feet from shore. I could have stepped out of the boat. Been up to my waist in water. And if I had, I'd be legal. But if I hadn't, you know, by being in the boat, I'm breaking the law. By swimming, I'm perfectly kosher. I heard somebody make make the point of, uh, you know, isn't it ironic you can get pulled over by a guy on a motorcycle who's got a badge and some lights? And he'll give you a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt while he had to speed just to catch up to you. And he ain't got a seatbelt on on the back of that Harley. That's kind of uh, hypocritical, I'd say. But you know, when I told this guy the story about getting pulled over in the canoe, first of all, he was shocked you needed a license, right? A tag to be on the on the water with a non-motorized vehicle. What if we were sitting, what if we were straddling a big old hickory log and just paddling that? Is that against the law? Yeah, it's not a boat. It's just a piece of timber. Makes you wonder, right? Makes you ask these questions. So he was initially shocked that you needed tags. He said, oh no, yeah, here in Indiana you need tags even if it's non non motorized. He said, "Well, but I you know, I I got to say I you know, I don't disagree with the law for life jackets. It's matter of matter of public safety." I said, "Whose safety?" I was putting no one but myself at risk. And that should be within my rights. Because guess what? I do it all the time or rather I I manage my own risk all the time right 
So you're telling me that paddling 10 feet from the, from the shoreline in five feet of water with one, one life jacket between two guys in a canoe that's worthy of extortion, of theft, of piracy. I'll call it what it is. They took my money on the open ocean. I mean, it's not the ocean, but you get my drift. Pun not really intended. But all this shit, you know, it pisses me off, man. And it should. You know, I worry about people that just don't see what's happening right in front of their face. They print all these billions of dollars and they still expect you to pay your taxes. Your menial little, you know, thousand, couple thousand, however much you owe according to their rules that you had no part in coming up with or agreeing to. Does that not piss you off? They can make it up out of thin air, but you can't. I know I'm probably like just preaching to the choir here. But this is, you know, I, I've i struggled to speak into the mic lately because it's like it's all happening all at once. You know, writing the book really helped. If you haven't read it yet, I'll send you the link if you can't find it. I gotta, I gotta call Amazon and say, why can't anybody find my book? Because many people have told me they've searched and they can't find it. And I've confirmed there's a problem. But the subtitle, sort of the secret subtitle, everything all at once. Because that's what it feels like right now. It feels like two years ago happened yesterday. You know? It's all still fresh. And unresolved. Mostly because a lot of fucked up shit happened. And nobody's nobody's confessed. Nobody's, nobody's fessed up to it. Right? I think I just now realize where the word fessed up, where the phrase comes from. To confess, obviously. And that's a huge thing. If you're not willing to admit your mistakes, I'm not willing to listen at this point. I'll admit my mistakes. You know, at times I was hostile, I was pissed off, and Borderline irrational. Halfway paranoid at moments. You know, even though not that many people listen to me, I was afraid to speak. Because it might come back and bite me in the ass if I said the wrong thing. But truthfully, I'm I'm grateful, I'm proud that I didn't just cower and say nothing. I'd rather I'd rather say a couple things over the line than not say anything about the line. Cuz they moved, they moved it. They moved the line. They said 
you're no longer allowed to, to, to live the way you used to till we say so, till we give you the thumbs up. Even though all of your ancestors for eons at their, at their most basic level were free and independent and could go and do as they wished. But now you have to stay home. You have to close your business. You have to make the sacrifice because we said so. That doesn't piss you off. There's something really, really wrong with you. So, not the most positive episode, but it's what I felt the need to say because I'm not ready for amnesty. I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to forgive, but I'm not willing to forget. Pretend like it never happened and go on, you know, with everything even Stevens. It's not quite even Steven. A lot of people had the luxury of writing this shit out in relative comfort and stability without even the slightest hit to their income. While others had their lives completely upended. And if you're if you're more of the former than the latter, the least you can do is recognize that there was some some seriously inconsistent implementation of this COVID response. It was ill-informed. It was ill-advised. It did not do the job. And a lot of people got hurt. So try to understand. (sighs) Oh, man. I know. That was a bit of a lecture I'm I'm going to try to send you off on on a good note because I love you I love you the listener you know you guys are on my side I get it sometimes you just got to speak you just got to speak to everyone even if they're not listening but I I tell you what if you're still listening I got Good news, I've got some cool guests lined up. Nothing nothing firm, but I've got three or four people who I've been talking to who I'm very excited to talk to on, on the air. Um, so you can look forward to that. Uh, it might be, you know, a few interviews before the next solo show, which is what I prefer, you know, maybe... Two or three to one. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> I guess that's it. Thanks for coming, y'all. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.